so good evening. So yes, yeah, some of you were here last week, some were not. We're talking, this is the, doing this three-week series on, uh, she called it hatred and aversion and delusion, which is the same thing. Um, we tend to say hatred, greed, and delusion. Uh, no, you said, what did you say? Greed, aversion. You said a greed, aversion, right. So first I want to take uh, just a few minutes and see if anyone has any, we'll have some time for discussion and comments towards the end, but I want to see if anyone has any questions either about just general meditation practice questions or anything from last week. Microphone's coming. I had a general meditation question. Um, can you meditate on something? A, a creative act, a problem? What, could you, you mean it sort of kind of reflect on it? and Sure. And um, so when you say you meditate on something, I mean, we're always... You know, if you say if we're with the breath, and that becomes a meditation subject, or sometimes like meditation object. So you're meditating on the breath. So you're always meditating on something. There are the meditation can shift, and if you were doing like a Dzogchen type of practice, it might be sort of an objectless awareness kind of practice. So there are practices that like that too. Um, there are just even classically in Buddhism, there are uh, meditations that are reflections. So reflecting, reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha, for example, and that can there's all these benefits you can get from that, right? So um, certainly there can be uh, meditations that are not that are really reflecting on something that can be kind of discursive, also sometimes, right? Sometimes you can just sort of sit with something, and there might not be a lot of words going on, or there could actually be some verbal, mental activity about it and it definitely has a place. Normally the way we tend to teach is you know, many ways that Vipassana practice gets taught, but it's some combination of developing concentration and mindfulness and it's it's not really uh Vipassana is not really a um meant to be a discursive activity. It's more um developing this power of the mind. You know, we really turn the mind kind of into an electron microscope that can really look very deeply into the nature of things. Um, but there are many other uh, classes of practice and certainly uh, some are have to do with reflecting and I think that has a place and especially, um, I don't, do you, you don't need to, do you have something, any more to say or is there something special going on or I, you don't need to say that in front of the group but uh, just a general question. Yeah, and also just even a simple example, um, if you have, if you sit down to meditate and you're trying to say concentrate with the breath and there's something going on, the mind's stirring up and you can't settle down, something happened in life or there's something, maybe you don't know what it is, just a sense of something, maybe there's some unease around something going on, it can, that's just a s simple example, it can be very useful to stop trying to be with the breath and go attend to whatever this is that's going on and you might reflect you know, feel what's going on, what's happening. Sometimes you might need to think it through a little bit, and or you know, so that can definitely have a place. No question about it. Is that helpful? Yes. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Well, if anything comes up, we can. Uh, there'll be some time towards the end that we can talk about. So we've been talking about this topic of um, hatred, greed, and delusion. And so last week, and I'm going to recap just in the first few minutes a little bit and then continue on. So last week we were in a, sort of in a, taking a high-level view or just a general uh, discussion about this topic of hatred, greed, and delusion, not trying to go into any of those three uh, in a lot of detail. So I want to try and go into some more detail about them tonight. But first let me back up and just say a little. It's really what we talked about last week for those who weren't here. So when we talk about this words hatred, greed, and delusion, hatred, we just um, 
or greed, hatred, and delusion. The greed is, is the desire. It's that force in the mind that wants to hold on to, cling to, pull close to us pleasant experiences, which we all do. That's just part of being a human being. Right? We all want to have more pleasant and less unpleasant experiences in our lives. That's just natural. Okay? So, as living beings, we all tend to, when things, we, we try to set our lives up in a certain way, of course, and we, want to, we may not be that conscious of it, but on some level we're trying to direct our lives in a certain direction. We may not even know specifically what that is, but we definitely, it means pointing our lives towards whatever better is, right? Less bad experiences and more of whatever good is for, for us. And um, so um, that's driven by, pl- the, by pleasant experiences. And the, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is that we tend to um, get into clinging around it. We try to hold on to the pleasant. And the opposite of that is keep away the unpleasant. That's the, when we say hatred. It's aversion, as you have said. You know, we want to push away unpleasant experiences and um, hold on to pleasant experiences. Um, and then fueling that is the third of these three. There's the greed, the holding, the, the hatred, the pushing away, and then the, the delusion. And we'll talk about each of these in a little more, but the delusion is not seeing things clearly, what's really going on. Now, if you ask most people, they would say, well, what do you mean? I see what's going on just fine. I have, you know, assuming our sense organs work, I can see, I can hear, I can feel, I can taste, I can touch. I know exactly what's going on. Right? So we want to explore that a little bit, uh, spend some time tonight on that. Um, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Anyway, these three forces in Buddhist teachings are what's said to, to sort of Literally, what makes the world go round? What fuels every, uh, impels us forward into life? And I mentioned last week that there's a, a well-known mandala that the Tibetans have, this wheel of life, uh, and it has all these concentric circles. And so I won't get into it much, except all the different rings of the circle show many different uh, depictions of uh, different forms of what life might look like for different beings, some of them being pleasant experiences, some being unpleasant, and it's quite detailed. Um, In the middle of it is the circle that has hatred, greed, and delusion. It's actually um, represented by a pig, a snake, and a chicken. The pig is the greed, the snake is the hatred or aversion, and the chicken, I don't know, it seems like it's kind of picking on the chickens, but it's... uh, that's the delusion. Okay. And what we talked about, the last thing I'll just say from last week that we talked about is this idea that, and it's interesting to reflect in your own life to see if this is actually true, that there's probably not much, and maybe even nothing, but I don't know if I want to go quite that far, but let's just say not much that's not driven by some version of hatred, greed, and delusion if we're not conscious. And we mentioned what are called the eight worldly dharmas, that these four pairs. So let me just mention them again, because they're really important. And as I mentioned the list, you might reflect and see if there's much of anything that we do in our life that's not driven by these. Once again, it's not a judgment. This isn't saying there's anything we're, we're bad. It's just sort of naming the human condition, how it is to be a human being. And then we can then tonight we want to look at, well, might there be another strategy rather than living just at the effect of these forces that might serve us better? We'll think of it that way. So the four pairs, these, four, these uh, eight worldly dharmas are uh, pleasure and pain. So there's these four pairs of opposites, pleasure and pain. Right there, if we just stop. Or instead of pleasure and pain, we think of pleasant and unpleasant. much of what we do is is fueled around pleasant and unpleasant. Maybe everything, some version. We may not be that conscious. Why do you go to work? You either like it, it's pleasant, 
or what you have to pay your bills. In other words, not having food and living under a bridge is unpleasant. I mean, you don't think of it like this, but you know, we do it to take care of ourselves. To set, right? Pleasant and unpleasant, or pleasure and pain is one pair. Um, praise and blame. Fame and disrepute and gain and loss. Those are the four. Can we, can we say that again slower? Some, somebody's writing. Do you get it? You did get it. Okay. Yeah. So in the Buddhist teaching, he said this is what fuels everything. It's what makes the world go around. When we're just not being that conscious or mindful or aware, and we're just caught up in the story of our lives, in other words, we live. We don't even notice that these forces are fueling us. You may say, well, yeah, so what's the problem? Well, on one level, maybe not much of a problem. Maybe life's going okay. But what happens is, to the extent that we are uh, not aware of these forces and how much they're fueling what we do, then basically our whole lives, we really have lost any freedom and choice in how we live. We're just living along on, I often call it being on automatic pilot, which is probably how most of us live most of the time. In other words, we're not mindful awake in the moment. We're, we're, we're not unconscious. We're just going through our lives, caught up, immersed in it all. That's, isn't that true? It's not bad, but isn't that true? Anybody here not on automatic pilot a lot? No. Once again, it's not a judgment. Okay. But when we are living that way, then what that means is just according to how our minds happen to work or the way we say in Buddhism is just the way our minds happen to be habituated or conditioned, then when certain experiences come to us, we're just going to interact with it and react according just to the natural way our minds work. Right? For some people... Um, might not be a problem in many areas of our lives, but you can probably find some areas. For example, my wife is um, uh, tends to be an aversive type. It, it, another thing I should say, uh, it, um, I'm not picking on my wife here when I say that. Uh, uh, she would tell you that too. In Buddhism, there's, they tend to type people as being, some people are more what you'd call an aversive type, more an, a greed type or more a delusion type. None of them are, there's no good type in there, right? They put it. It's just another way of categorizing, just like the Enneagram is a way of categorizing. I don't know, there's probably all these different ways. I'm a delusion type. We all have a mix of all of these in us, but some people tend to be kind of equally balanced. But um, probably for many of us, probably most of us, we have a more one tendency of another. The way that they, uh, we talked about this last week, the way you can tell is... Uh, if you, the, the classic way is if you walk into a room or in any situation, the greed type tends to... I'm not saying greed is... is but just a, that, that type who... They just see everything they like. Once again, greed's kind of a heavy way to say it, but right, you just notice about, wow, what a nice center and kind of a nice feeling in here. And I don't know, you just notice what you like. You'd be more of a greed type. Then the aversion type would tend to come in. They would just naturally notice what they don't like. You know, well, it's yeah, it's kind of sparse, and I don't know. You know, it's like I don't like those glass. It could be more. It looks like an old church. It is an old church, right? And I don't know. Whatever it is you don't like, you would tend to notice that. And then the delusion types. That's what I am. You just don't. You're clueless. <laughs> My theory is is that um, that the delusion type. I'm not sure about this. But my theory is the delusion type is the hardest one to live with because we're so clueless. But actually, your own experience is better because you don't, you don't notice. So my wife, being an aversion type, she'll notice when the house needs to be cleaned, when it starts getting dirty. I just don't see the dirt. You know, I don't notice. And then when she points it out, it's like, oh yeah, you know, the carpet really does need to be vacuumed. Right? So we start to see how we're... Uh, 
So if you tend to be more of an aversion type, or then that's okay if you just know you're an aversion type and that's just the way the mind works. But if you don't notice it, you just tend to be, I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit, you tend to just be driven by it and you don't realize I'm just an aversion. You really think everything's screwed up and you're really in just, an, you're not saying, you know, um, oh yeah, I tend to be, I just have a lot of aversion arising in the mind. If the place really does, is just kind of not nice and everything. Right? And if you're a greed type, I don't have that much experience with it, but you know, you would tend to, you don't realize, wow, you know, I tend to have that wanting and I want beauty and pleasure and I want to hold on. You just say, you know, I, I need my chocolate or whatever it is. And, and as in a delusion type, I can tell you, it's not, if you, if you aren't aware that the mind works that way, you really don't see a lot. You really don't. And you don't know that because it's just your natural way. So to the extent that gets us into trouble, it might be worth it to try and free our minds from that a little bit. That's all. When we don't see what's going on and we're just caught up in the effect of it, the whole problem is, is that then we just react out of whatever tendency our mind happens to have when something comes to us. So I was going back to use the, the, my wife being an aversion type. When the thing comes in that she doesn't like, I mean, she's, I would call her an enlightened inversion, aversion type because she's aware and done a lot of work, but still a tendency's there. So in the times when she, when she goes on automatic pilot again, you know, she'll, she'll get annoyed or whatever. So it's not that big of a deal. It's just an example coming up because she's just in reaction. So the problem is to the extent we're not awake, that's why we're doing mindfulness practice here, we're just pushed along by all these forces. That's all. So it's worth taking a look. And there's two levels that we start to get free on. One level is that to the extent we're clear and awake and mindful in the moment, even if the forces are at work, we're more aware of it and we do have more freedom and choice in how we live and act and think and be. And there's a whole other level as we start to shine the light of awareness on, the, the forces uh, of hatred, greed, and delusion start to lose their power some. So even to the when we're not mindful and clear, and when we're and when we're on automatic pilot, then the mind's naturally less reactive. Then so there's these two levels that it can work on. Okay, that's the idea. Okay, so let me just say a few things here. Uh, my own take about um, each of these. So first, the greed type. The greed, not the greed type, but just the forces of greed. The forces of desire. First of all, we want to separate out. Uh, sometimes people think that the Buddha, or Buddhism teaches that desire is bad. But that's not true. Buddhism does not say that desire is bad. Uh, it's just these English translations we get of some of these words. He's actually, the Buddha actually used a very specific word. If any of you are interested in, you don't have to memorize these poly words, but in case you're interested, it's called tanha, T-A-N-H-A. Tanha means thirst. It's craving. There's wholesome desire, right? For example, if you didn't desire to come, say, here tonight to meditate or to talk about Dharma topics, you wouldn't do it. If you didn't desire to meditate, if you didn't desire to, for those of you who do, to eat, whatever, organic vegetables, if you do, you wouldn't do it. So, um, there's wholesome desire. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the desire that hooks us in and makes the clinging happen. So it's more of the thirst. Although, you know, we think of thirst, I mean, it's a strong craving, but there's milder versions of craving too but it's some version where it really starts to have some force to it. Not just like, oh, I think I can do this. You know, there's lots of things we desire, but, you know, if we don't get it, don't suffer. It's not a big deal. Sometimes I talk about, some of you heard say this, I, um, I like chocolate. I really do like chocolate. You know what? If I don't, you give me a chocolate, some good dark chocolate, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to enjoy it. I like it. You know what? If I don't get it, 
I'm not thinking about it. It's not a big deal. It's a desire. It's not a big thing. Here's another one example. Last summer, my daughter is a college student and her car died and I'm uh, supporting her through college. So I, um, my car was getting a little older. So I gave her my car and I thought it was about time. So I got a new car. So I wasn't even thinking about a new car. I was perfectly happy with my car. And as soon as we realized, oh, I think we want to get a Prius. It, doesn't, it never even entered my mind. All of a sudden I started craving a Prius. And I saw these Priuses everywhere. And, and I just was thinking about it and I got a little bit obsessed of craving the Prius. You know? And what I really noticed is, and notice this sometimes for yourself when those desires kick in, you know, it's, suffering's kind of a strong word, but it's, it's an unpleasant, it's like it, was, it didn't feel good. It was really kind of this wanting, this pulling towards, right? You know, I just couldn't wait. When I'm, when's the Prius coming? You know, when's the Prius coming? It was kind of embarrassing, but really, I, I just was noticing. That's what was happening in the mind. Okay. So then we got the Prius. And I like the car a lot. I still have it parked out there, and I drive it, and I, I like it. It's a great car. But the interesting thing I noticed happened. I didn't enter like I didn't start like glowing in some state of transcendent bliss that I thought was going to happen when I got the Prius. All that happened was I didn't feel any happier. I felt just like I did before I had even thought of the Prius. Only the craving for it was just gone, and it was a big relief. And a lot of times it doesn't mean we don't get happiness from it. I do enjoy the car, and I do get some happy. You know, I appreciate it. You know, and I do get some happiness on those. Well, you know, I'm getting about 45, 46 miles per gallon. When I notice that on there, I do feel some happiness about it. This is cool. I'm getting 46 miles per gallon. So, yeah, I do get some happiness. But mostly, and I think that's one of the traps that happens, is that when we're desiring something, what can happen is, it might not be conscious, is it's not... The thing itself, and sometimes the thing itself can be very pleasant if it's something, and then there'll be the pleasure that comes, which won't, of course, last. It'll come and go like everything. But it's the promise of happiness that we think is going to come when we get the whatever. And I want to make a distinction. That's different than, say, if, for example, if you're struggling with your finances. Right? That's a lot of suffering. You know, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You know, that can be a lot of suffering. I've been there in my life before. I'm not there now, but I have been in my life. You know? So let's make no mistake. That's different. I'm not talking about that, you know? There's a lot of people out there, and you don't want to say to them, you know, the problem with you is not that you're craving to have enough money and food. You're just clinging. You've got to let go of clinging. No. Those people got to pay their bills. They need food. They need medical care, whatever it is. That's real suffering. It's true that there is, it is suffering that's because of clinging, but you, you can't talk like that about that. You need to take care of what needs to be taken care of. Right? So I'm not talking, I'm just not even talking about that whole class of, of suffering. But for so much, for many of us, most of us, I, don't, actually, I shouldn't say that because I don't really know people's situations here. But for a lot of things, even for everyone, we think we're going to be happy if we get whatever. And there are things that make us happy. But you know, they've even done studies, some of you know this, of people who've won the lottery. Right? They've done lots of studies on it. And I'm not talking about, some of you know that some people end up like in disasters, but I'm not even going there. What they found is, is, I mean, you think about like winning the lottery, I mean, winning big, that'd be pretty good. No doubt about it, right? Win $100 million. Wow. Well, they've done studies, they talk to people, and what they find out after the initial euphoria wears off, and there is an initial euphoria, it probably lasts a few months, I don't know, it must be pretty amazing. Wears off. You're just back down to ordinary, your actual experience during the day is just ordinary consciousness. Yeah, you can do more things than you could and it opens up a lot of things but you're just, you didn't enter, it, it didn't permanently fix your problem. You're just kind of how we all feel now. Whatever that is for each of us. 
fulfilling the desire. It's, it, and the thing is, you think our minds would know this, but we're so gullible. It's like how many times have, I don't know about you, but I can think in my own life, how many times have I thought, you know, I just, when this, I'm going to get whatever. And that's going to do it for me. It hasn't happened yet. And yet, the next thing rolls around and what's my mind going to be doing? It's going to form the same thing. That's the force of the greed that I'm talking about. And again, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that there aren't lots of things and important things in life that do bring us some happiness that are important to get. Right? But in general, I think it's we need to start looking at how this force works. That's all I'm saying. Because it's it's impelling us forward. Anyway, there's a lot more that could be said just about that topic, but I'll just drop that one. The opposite of that, but it's really just it's the same kind of force, but it's just the flip side of it is is the aversion, and that's the thing that's pushing away. I don't want this experience, right? Right. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants unpleasant experiences. No doubt about that. So I don't I think that's just just ridiculous to even say that. The problem is despite our best efforts, sometimes you're gonna get what you want and sometimes you're gonna get what you don't want. What are you gonna do when you get what you don't want? What are you gonna do? I remember um, last, sometimes this last year, I had a couple of gallbladder. Any of you ever had any gallbladder trouble? It's pretty painful, isn't it? I mean, it's real painful. Yep, she knows. Some of you, of you know. I've heard people say that it's second only to childbirth. I don't know if that's true. But I thought if childbirth's worse than this... <laughs> I don't see how you, you know, like how you do it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm serious. It was so painful. Matter of fact, later someone said to me, oh yeah, well gallbladder, uh, yeah, well you, oh, you just go down to the emergency room, that's when they give you morphine, it's so painful. It didn't even occur to me, I just gutted it out. It's like, I would have gone somehow, I don't know, it just didn't pop in my mind. Okay. I couldn't make it go away. It lasted 10 or 12 hours. And basically think of it, it was extremely sharp, it's like getting an intestinal abdominal cramp, but real, real strong, real, real sharp, and you can't make it go away. That's pretty rough. My mindfulness was just clear. Right? I was present, I was clear, I knew what was going on, but it was so strong that it didn't help, really, because it went past my ability to still find that inner peace in the midst of the difficult experience. It was just way past my cutoff point. So, sometimes it's too much for us. But there's a lot of experiences we can learn to work with um, if we start to notice the force in the mind in the first place. That's the key. And we're not jerked around it. And we come to the place that... Um, you know the quote from Sylvia Borstein I think she's the one who said it it's a great quote that says pain is required suffering is optional ever heard that? that's true do you get the difference between pain and suffering? when we start to find a place that's more free from all these forces and this is the key to the whole Dharma. It's the place of, I use the word well-being, but it's freedom, it's liberation, it's happiness, it's peace that's not completely only dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on the experience having to look this way and not look some other way. But it's more about what's the relationship I'm having with whatever experience I am having. And it's possible, and you all know this, it's possible to, to, to learn 
to rest at peace in a very deep, profound way, even if experience, if it's pleasant, we still feel it. We don't push it away. We don't disconnect or disassociate from it. But we don't have to just get lost in it either. And when it's unpleasant, the same thing. We feel it as unpleasant. For example, right now, if any of you ever, I'm sitting on this uh, cushion, it's actually quite uncomfortable. That I could, I guess, get up and get a Zafu, but I was just didn't. But did you see this? It's that half. You see this kind of shape? Have you ever sat on one of these? I think depending on your, your body style, maybe it's good for some people, but it's actually um, really cutting in my leg. <laughs> and um, my legs aren't falling asleep, but it's just it actually hurts a, a fair amount. You know what? Well, I actually, just by holding it up, I got my relief, too. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not a big deal. I could go up there if I wanted to and do it. But it's a point. It's, the point is about it is it's not that, so it's unpleasant, but it's well within the range that I can work with it. And you know what? It's fine. I actually feel quite at ease and at peace right now. And there's unpleasant experience happening at the same time. The aversion's not kicking in. It's just unpleasant. When the pleasant experiences come, we can experience them. We're not pushing it away. We're not cutting it off. That's not what it's about. It's not to become numb or disassociated from our experience in any way. I just don't have to get the clinging coming in. Just be awake. Be present in the midst of, of all this unfolding in our lives. That's the place we're coming to. So we have to start coming to know getting more intimate or, or familiar with the forces that are pushing us. So actually, I have a lot more I can think of to say, and I haven't even talked about the delusion part yet, but um, I just want to take a break, and I can keep going if there aren't any comments or questions, but somehow I just, yeah. Um, hang on, they're, they're going to send the microphone back there and see if anybody has any thoughts about this. Uh, Richard, I have a question. Um, it's kind of for day-to-day practice. Um, how much do you want to... Like, sometimes for me, I, I don't know. Let's say for r- right speech, for example. So you're, you're having a conversation, you go through your day... Uh, is it good to be on your mind, okay, right speech, or thinking about right speech and your intentions, or is it more to be nat? Is it better to be natural, or is there some like balance within there? What do you mean when you say be natural? I don't know. It just seems to me that if you're thinking about like you know looking at your intentions like all day long and, and um, thinking about um, like right speech, for example, is that is that good? Is that healthy, or is it sure? Hel- yeah. Well, what I would say is this: it, there's sort of two approaches I would take. And we, we, we mix these up all the time. There's not just one. One is, is that you can take a particular aspect or quality that you want to work on. Say, I want to be just mindful of my speech. You can't be aware of everything all the time. There's so much going on. So you could just focus on your speech, and that would be fine. And just tooth as much as you can. And, of course, you're not going to be perfect about it. But as much as you can, start to pay attention. There's a lot there. And you start to notice more and more, not only about what's going on and how you want to respond, but... Kind of the, the, all the different forces, there's just a lot. You could do that. Another way you can do it is just start to work on being more mindful in general. And then it will, it will sort of cover through whatever comes up. There'll be the times when there's speech, then how do we be mindful in the times that I'm not speaking with anyone right now? Maybe there's other aspects of our lives that we be mindful. So that's in a more general sense like that. Um, that's a way, you're talking about how do you actually apply this through your day? Right. Yeah, so the extent we can bring more mindfulness through the day, everything's covered. Um, I would say that. And then if you want to pick something to work on a lot, that's what some people do, and they really just focus on that. Or want to focus on generosity or patience or whatever it is. And you could pick something too. So it's just whatever, yeah, whatever you want. Any other thoughts or... Yeah, um, I wonder if some. Yeah, oh, thank you for coming. He's coming to get the microphone. Well, 
one thing I've been wondering about is sometimes um, oh, when you're having to deal with other people, like in work situations and so forth, how uh, sometimes what's come up for me is that I'll I feel like I end up being victimized by other people's um, sort of like uh, maybe much more r- real rigid or you know compulsive needs to have something something be just a certain way or have right. and I've found this a real problem like where maybe I feel like I've sort of don't have some big hang up about something and I think I'm having an easy a sort of win-win approach to the situation but then I have to deal with somebody who's completely addicted to like having something being exactly their way and right. it can really drive me nuts yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks whatever you might want to say well I can that. think of a couple of things on that I mean first of all I don't know the story so I, I don't I can't give an opinion about, yeah. you know, and, but I would say two things. Uh, the first thing is, if truly, I'm not suggesting you should do this, I'm just saying if something like that came up, there's a situation, you say, well, I could go either way, and then someone had to have it that way. If you really didn't care, well, you can just do it that way. But I guess then it, you have to find out where your line right. is, where you need to draw your line. That's and right. It's going to work for you. Yeah. I guess the, the, yeah. the thing I would tend to say is for any of us to the extent we can be more awake to or mindful or aware of what's going on in us in the moment, mm-hmm. the, all the forces that are going on which might include why is it always their way and yeah. nobody's validating me or I, you didn't say this, I'm making these up or yeah. so many different kind of forces to the, to the extent we're aware of all that yeah, we start to have more choice in how we're going to... Now, I don't know the answer, but at least, yeah. hopefully, it's coming more from choice rather than reactivity. Yeah, that's reaction right. to. And you at yeah. least have a chance to maybe come up with something that's more skillful, whatever that means. Right, because then at least you don't just go into a react, right. reactive mode. And, and to the extent you're on automatic pilot, and yeah. especially if it's built up over time and has yeah. some energy behind it now, then it's even going to be harder. And those forces when they really strengthen like that, of course, are even harder. I know that times, for, like I can think of times in my life where I was quite aware of what was happening, but there had been so much history and so much force that built up that there could be a strong force to want to still yeah, that's right. lash out or act in a way. So even sometimes when we are mindful and aware, it can really not be so easy if the forces are strong yeah. of, 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 of either the hatred or the greed. Yeah, either right. Oh, well, thanks for giving me some ideas. Who had the microphone? Should I, should uh, I give it back to you? You know, you could just, um, just you could just set it down. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, okay. I just had a question about desire, healthy desire versus unhealthy desire. Isn't, or is desire pretty much all the same thing whether it's healthy or not like love or intimacy versus yeah. owning a country or whatever sure it all I think so something better so I don't it's, is there any point in distinguishing between the two or is it well it does get distinguished between and I certainly would I mean the other thing I have to say is since I have not reached the end of the path myself I don't know what that's like you know what's the mind of a Buddha say or any of these, you know, deeply enlightened great masters, you know, wh- why do they do anything? What's the motivation force? What's the impetus there? I don't know. Right? I don't know what that would be, but I do know that, in for myself, it seems to be true for many people that the more we become freer from these deluding forces people don't seem to just become passive inactive blobs that don't do anything people tend to be look at the Dalai Lama right he's very connected very engaged I don't know what what his mind is don't know but he's certainly someone who embodies a lot of wisdom and compassion. So 
it seems like that, and I'm projecting some of this, I understand, but, um, and maybe he's written about it himself, I don't know, but it certainly seems like he's an example of someone who is very engaged. You know, if you ever see him, if he's with someone, his, he's there, he's connected. Right? He cares. Now, is it coming out of desire? or is it Because it also seems like we come to these places where some just... What happens when the mind quiets and the heart opens? We naturally just are more connected. We're, we, we just flow out of a place of a loving heart, of just of a place of wisdom. And then, I don't know what the force is at that point. That does this, but I guess, I guess what I would say is that it seems like to the extent we can not worry about the healthy desire so much and, and just start to notice the stronger forces that buffet us around. You know, because even the desire to meditate has caused suffering in many people, right? Which could be, you could call it a healthy desire, but if it goes over into a sense of overstriving, or I've got to do this, or, you know, it, there's so many forms it can take that we could talk about, right? It's, it's not about the thing, it's about our attitudes. So, to the extent we can come to whatever we do with a quiet mind and an open heart, well, we're probably doing pretty good. I don't know what else to say about it. I don't know, is that, do you have any comments, or is that okay? Or? I mean, it seems fine. Okay. <laughs> That's the best I know to say. Please. So, within aversion, do you find irritation, uh, fear, um, jealousy? Right, those annoyance. are all forms of aversion. But, yeah, so, right. Yeah. Just like on the greed side, you know, there's, there's so many flavors of it we could talk about, um, you know, the desiring side, too. Yeah, that's all shame, fear, anger. I don't know, there's other flavors, you've named a few, um, right? That's all some form of aversion. I mean, what's fear? Fear is like, I don't want this. <laughs> Get this away from me. I mean, that's a you know, classic aversion. You know, the whole point to all of this is there's really two levels about this. And that's not a higher or a lower. So when I say levels, but that's not really right. But just two um, angles we can take on all this Dharma teaching. One is that to the extent we can free our minds, our lives are just better. We actually end up having more pleasant experience in our life. Right? We're just not struggling and suffering so much. We're more at ease. We're not buffeted around, you know, jerked around by the flow of the experience of life. And we just can rest at ease and live. That's one angle. Another angle, these two, it's hard to really separate them out. So this is kind of an artificial separation. Is... Beyond making our lives just better. You know, the Buddha was also talking about another kind of freedom, which was really kind of almost, a, I would call it a transcending life. Right? We don't talk about that much. That's the nirvana that the Buddha talked about, too. Right? Nirvana wasn't um, um, try to make life real, 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 real pleasant. That's not nirvana. Nirvana is something that's, um, really I call it transcending life. We'll just say that. So, so, you know, a lot of times we hear that we're not having a talk on nirvana and since um, I have not attained nirvana, um, I try not to, you know, you never, you can't see your blind spots, but I try not to talk about things that I don't know. So that would be kind of, I would be telling you what I read in books. So we won't go there too much. And, um, you know, sometimes when this word enlightenment comes up, it can feel so far away from us too. 
you know, really, and even to say like transcending life, what's that? That was a bad, I kind of wish I hadn't said that. I don't know if, is this going to end up on the um, audio derm? That's what happens when you don't write out a talk, you just don't know what's going to come. So, um, rather than think of it like that, perhaps another way to think of it is the way I like to think of it myself is, I personally don't think in terms of enlightenment or transcending life or anything. I don't use that kind of terminology. I don't know why I said that. But, but we can all, we all have experienced times of, I'll use the word freedom, which can have many connotations. But I'll say freedom from the forces of hatred, greed, and delusion. Well, what is it, would it be like to live freed from those forces? One kind of freedom would be, we're freed from them because they're just not there, they're not arising. And there's also a freedom of even when those forces are there, we start to find some more freedom. We're not buffeted around by them so much. We, they, they loosen their grip on us, right? That's a kind of freedom. And what really happens, whether we're aware of it or not, anytime we're doing practices, meditation practices, reflection type practices, uh, any Dharma practices is that our capacity to hold and be present with more and more and more of the experience of our life and stronger unpleasant and stronger pleasant and, the, and, and more of the full range of our lives to hold that and not and, and still have a place of freedom not lose our peace, our inner peace, or our well-being. That comes back to what I said earlier, that more and more, it's not just, uh, our well-being's not completely dependent on circumstances, but it's more what, how we're relating to whatever's going on. So to the extent the forces of hatred, greed, and delusion aren't affecting us, we're able to, to just be more open, clear, peaceful, in the midst of, of it all. We'll have some cutoff point, you know, when the gallbladder attack comes, well, you know, that would be pretty advanced practice, I think. Um, you know, if it really didn't, if you just weren't phased by it at all, that'd be pretty amazing. I've told a story here before, when I was uh, 18, I was just getting into uh, meditation practice. I got a, have you heard that story? I've got a tooth filled without getting Novocaine. I went to the dentist and I, um, I was about 18 or 19. So he was going to get fill my, give me my the drill and do the, fill the cavity. And he started giving me the shot. I said, no, no, um, that's okay. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm just going to um, just let whatever, I don't know what he thought. <laughs> let whatever experiences come and just, I'm just going to just be here present with just whatever experiences come. Right. I don't know what he thought, but, and um, I don't really remember that much about it because I certainly could have just stopped him and said, you know, I, I thought I could do it, but you better give me the Novocaine. But I didn't. I did get my tooth filled. Out. It was way past. I mean, it was worse than the gallbladder by far. <laughs> it wasn't even close. I couldn't do it. I mean, I gutted it out. I guess maybe now I can say I did it, but you know what? <laughs> Forget. But, you know, so I had an idea. So yeah, there's going to be things that come in our experiences that will be too much. You know what? We're not going to stay centered and clear. We are going to lose our equanimity. And if we're not able to fix those, well, then we're going to suffer. <laughs> you know? If the gallbladder attack comes and there's no pain medicine, you know what? You suffer. You just do. Okay, that's when we pull the, bring the compassion in. But except for those extremes, we're starting to let that place of freedom grow and grow and grow and grow and expand out. And then what's ultimately possible? I don't know. What's ultimate freedom, unconditioned freedom? Right, ultimate freedom. Well, maybe that's the enlightenment the Buddha talked about. 
Maybe that's a better way to say it than using these weird words like transcending life or something like that. And so we don't have to worry about, you know, it's not all or nothing, right? We're just on this path. And we start just to work with these things and let them expand out. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you, with the gallbladder, yeah. Okay, so you you were able, if it comes, it just comes, and you'll and you don't have any any medicine or something. You'll just be with the pain. So what would you do that would make it be a suffering experience? What would you do? What, what? In uh, I'll say in that case, I, I, I'll I'll give a. I'm going to come back in a minute and give, and this will be our last question and we'll end up. And that's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. It's a good one to end. And so next time, actually, this actually worked out very well because the topic of delusion, which underlines all this stuff, it's really the whole core of the whole Dharma. We'll do that next time for those of you who will be here. You know, what does that mean, delusion? I'm coming back in a second to your okay. question. But what does that mean about delusion? And what does it really mean? You know, and what's, what does it mean to really see into the nature of reality? All that kind of stuff. So we'll do that next time. That would actually be a nice talk to end. So I will say this. In that extreme example of the gallbladder, I can't answer your question because it was happening so quick. I couldn't, I couldn't peel apart the, 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 the pain and the suffering. It was so far past my limit that I'm just suffering. I really couldn't, even though the mindfulness was there, I mean, I could see it, actually, that's not true, but I, I just couldn't do anything about it. It's not true, I could see it, but I just couldn't, I couldn't let go around it and just let it be this, even though I couldn't stop it from being this. But let's just take, let's back off from that and let's take a, um, a more, not such an extreme example and then we can see how it, it extends out to even the real extreme things. So take anything. Say you're sitting in meditation and you get in a position that's uncomfortable and maybe get like really bad knee pain or backache. It doesn't just have to be physical pain. You could look at anything. It could be emotional, psychological, anything going on in your life. But I'm just using physical pain. Okay. Before it gets super strong, you know, there, you'll hit a point where it can be quite strong. And it can be quite painful, right? Mm -hmm. Many of you, I'm sure, have experienced what I'm about to say. And if some of you hadn't, it would be a great place to experiment sometime. You can actually come to a place where, okay, knee pain, I turn my attention. I can put my attention right in there. I can feel it. Notice its qualities. Maybe it's, wow, it's pain, but when I really look closely, oh yeah, it's got a lot of different experiences there. It's kind of got a poking, a stabbing. Maybe there's some burning, pulling, tearing, I don't know, you know, pressure, heat. Right? So all of that can be going on and it can be very unpleasant. And the mind can rest quite at peace and at ease there. It's still unpleasant, you see it. You're just not having a problem about it. That's the pain. And then the suffering comes in when the aversion kicks in to the point where I'm just contracted around it. And then it comes into like... I've got to get rid of this. I can't be with this. I can't take this. That's, yeah. the, that's when it shifts over into suffering more. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And then I have an added thing that I know that I do with a lot of things that happen in my body. Yeah. Like if I had that and, and if I didn't know that it was a gallbladder, I think, oh my God, I gotta, I'm, I'm dying here. Right, what right, is right, this, right. you know? I like got right. all this, you know. Right. As you get older, these funny things happen. Right. Right. And that's a real problem. Right. So then what's going on is, it, when that happens, right, that's in the head. So there's two things going on. First, the, whatever, pain comes here. You don't know what it is. Is it gallbladder? Do I have an intestinal blockage? Is my yeah, that would be good. appendix yeah. rupturing <laughs> yeah, and I'm dying of internal, you know, all that. That's, you don't know. So there's the actual experience <laughs> itself, which could be quite severe, and that's its own challenges. And then there's all this other mental stuff we're putting on. But even with that, if you can notice... Oh, worry, worry, worry's going on, making up a lot of stories, fear. You can see that even. Step back a level from the pain. Now look what's going on in the mind. You can see that, be aware of it, know it. Okay, that's what's happening in the mind. You could actually be at peace about that. Quite at peace about that. And, or we get hooked into it. 
You know, I remember times uh, when I've been on some long retreats where, uh, you know, any of you who've done long retreats know you can get into these wonderful meditative states. I know there are people who have done, plenty of you have done it, and uh, they can be very blissful, and you're seeing things clearly, and every, and even in the context of long retreats, you can have, you know, you wake up someday and you're just lonely, or you're in despair, and all these things can happen. And I remember I'm thinking of one particular retreat early on when these things were coming up more. They would, I mean, they would really buffet me around a lot, and I would really get caught up in them. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they didn't come up very often, but when they did, I noticed my whole relationship completely changed around. And I was, just, and I was still feeling... You, and, and it could really be loneliness, despair coming up, and yet, no problem. I saw it, I felt I actually got quite interested in it. Rather than, oh, get this away, it's like, wow, what's that loneliness? Oh, yeah, where do I feel it in the body? Oh, yeah, this kind of contraction here. What's the nature of despair? What am I telling? And I could really see it and feel the suffering quality of it. Oh, yeah, this is dukkha, right? I'm trying to come to know the nature of dukkha. Okay, let me feel the dukkha, the suffering of it. And it changed. I got curious. My whole relationship changed to it. So we can, but we have to be awake enough mm-hmm. because our automatic reaction is to contract around it and to get into the aversion. So you have to have enough space in there to have a little freedom in how we're interacting with it. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Would you say that the bottom line on all of this is really fear of death? I mean, that's when I've done a lot of things. I mean, for everybody, young people, or especially older people, I guess. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, uh, I'd have to think it through. I mean, my my initial reaction was just to say, oh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? I, I don't really know. I think that might be maybe... I guess I, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that, and that might be different for all of us. That's true. Yeah. For some people, for example, it might not be fear of death; it might just be fear of pain. You know, like I know people who've said they're not afraid of death. I don't, whether or not that's really true or not, I don't know. But they say, but they just don't want to suffer. Yeah, the suffering. Yeah, that's right. So I think we don't want to. It's more fear of suffering. Like if you knew that, where does what fuels fear? I'm just thinking out loud here. If you knew somehow that when you died it was going to be really pleasant like you're going to hear you know like angels are going to be there and, or whatever your version is and it's going to be light and bliss right then, then maybe an angel appeared to you and, and, and told you so you have complete confidence in it well you might not have fear of death maybe it's the fear around suffering I don't know like it's going to be bad somehow so I don't know that's an interesting question I like your take, though. I, I like the angels. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> I could just do that. I huh? just change it all and say it's a real positive oh, yeah. thing. Right. I mean, I can tell you, like, when I die, I want any mu- music playing. <laughs> yeah, me too. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. everything's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, as long as there's somebody around to put it on. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's end. Let me say here it's exactly nine o'clock the ending time I'm going to take literally a couple of minutes to do an ending so it'll be real short but if you need to really go you'll be out of here in two minutes anyway but if you need to go please take care of yourself and go so I invite everyone to reflect that um that this has been a wise use of our time this evening. We've all used our time wisely. We've come here to meditate and then to reflect on these teachings around hatred and greed and delusion. And so any time we, um, we cultivate these qualities of, of uh, wisdom, learning how to quiet the mind, how to open the heart, that it's of great uh, benefit to ourselves. And so just take a moment perhaps to even have some appreciation um, and then to also realize that, um, that it's not possible to practice for ourselves alone. And that any time we cultivate these wholesome qualities in, of our, in ourselves, it is great benefit to ourselves, but also to everyone that we interact with. 
and that we can um, then offer up, make, make this uh, more conscious is, is what we're doing. So we can offer up if there's been any um, goodness or merit obtained or generated by this time together. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful and may all beings come to an end of suffering. I'll have a good evening.